0: Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Moss, your host of Task Force X. What, are we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and. Checkmate.
1: Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ossinger's suicide squad and Paul Cumberbird's checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is, while Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad
0: and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. (laughs) You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw
1: me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them oh so many years ago. That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody
0: does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything.
1: Here we are with episode number 27 of Task Force X. First up on the docket today is Checkmate number 6 cover date of September of 1988 but to buy this bad boy fresh off the newsstand well it came out on May the 10th of 1988. The cover price was a buck and a quarter. The editor was Jonathan Peterson. The cover credits. The artist was Art T. Bear. I've heard it pronounced different ways. Uh, Again this was another two uh, stories. The first story was uh, 16 pages long and it was entitled Heat. The writer as usual was Paul Kupperberg, the penciler is Steve Irwin, Inker Alve. letterer Albert Tobias de Guzman, and colorist Juliana Freder. Now for the synopsis. Uh, this story is told in two different parts. Uh, one part we have a knight wandering across the desert as he recounts how he got there. The knight named Aaron is in Israel where he follows a lead to a group called the Children of the Crescent, which is a terrorist group that's involved in arms dealings, which ties back into our last couple of issues. Meanwhile, a mercenary named Ash, ASCAG, has been hired to transport their latest shipment through the desert. Aaron pops up and stops the transfer of the weapons and kills one of the bad guys. At this point, he learns that Ash is undercover CIA and that by interfering, he has destroyed the CIA operation. The end. Now, for my thoughts on the issue, let's start as normal with the cover. The cover shows Aaron, our checkmate knight. now uh, you can tell he's in the desert. We got palm trees in the background. He's got a rock formation next to him. He's got a, uh, a towel or shirt or something over his head. His helmet strapped around his waist. And above, we have a helicopter firing on him. Uh, it looks. Uh, maybe it's just again. I don't know a whole lot about military and vehicles and all that. It looks to me like they're, from what I have usually see, it looks like it's rockets on the side that's firing upon them, but then it looks like it's just bullets hitting around them. So maybe these are large machine guns. I'm not going to cover my lack of knowledge. And then above it's got the sun, and and again, it's a very abstract-looking sun. I mean, it's just an orange circle with a yellow sphere around it, and then there's waves raining out, kind of insinuating that, again, that he's in the desert and it's really hot out. And then you got the title of the issue, or not necessarily the title of the issue, but cover blurb, title here. The heat is on. All in all though, it's a good cover. I enjoy it. It gets this point across what the story's about. Uh, got the checkmate knight making his way across the desert and he's being attacked. So again, I do like this cover. Like, it's not one of my most favorite covers, but like I said, I enjoy it. It gets this point across. Uh, moving on to the actual story itself, Like I said, we show Aaron uh, the checkmate night. He's got a shirt on his head as he starts out. We got the sun with that wavy pattern around it showing how hot and intense it is. Again, just like usual, uh, Steve Irwin does a great job on penciling, is a great inker. So together, they're they're doing a good job telling the story of just the pictures. And as I said, uh, the story switches back and forth between Aaron out in the desert and what led up to this point. I mean, it's almost a trope in storytelling these days to have this these flashback where one thing's going on and then it flashes back, showing how they get there. But I think, again, this was back in 88, so it wasn't, I don't think it was used quite as much then. And I think uh, Paul Kupperberg does a great job in using it here. And this story basically continues the, the ongoing story we've had previously for the last several issues about the arms dealers. And this kind of doesn't necessarily wrap it up, but it continues that story. And they talk about, you know, how they have arms here and uh, they've had problems with the past, referring to issues uh, four and five, I believe it was. And we go along through here uh, as we have Aaron investigating things and he's trying to spy on this group. Uh, he left the bug window, windows right along the rooftops. And there's once again, these pages aren't numbered, which makes it harder on his reviewers reviewing this. Uh, but there's one page here where uh, he's left the bug, he's running across the rooftops, and he gets hit from behind with a the barrel of a machine gun. And the guy that hit him, to me anyways, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's just uh, my head's in the wrong place, uh, but this guy that's been waiting for him, he's got like a braille on, glasses, uh, mustache. To me, he looks a lot like uh, Cobra Commander did over in G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue number 55. Uh, that came out bef- like a year before this uh, or so. I'm looking at Mike's Amazing World. Uh, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, 55, came out. It was on sale October the 7th of 1986. Uh, written by Larry Hamma, penciled by Todd Will- uh, Wingham. Uh, the reason I mentioned it is because I say the, the guy here in that issue, of GI Joe, Cobra Commander and Destro, uh, with Cobra invade the pit. Uh, that's the continuing story of it, or actually, I think it's like the one of the final issues of that storyline. The pit's blown up, and Cobra Commander and Destro is trapped beneath the pit. Again, spoilers for a over thirty-year-old story. Uh, Commander and Destro are trapped underneath the pit. They use a, a boring machine to bore their way out and they come up at a clothing store or something like that if I remember right and so they wear disguises and the way cobra is dressed or looks after he's dressed looks a lot like this guy that's attacking aaron uh, so i don't know if it's just a coincidence or if it's just uh, I, i'm such attuned to gi joe that i'm seeing it when it's not uh, if you guys have read this uh what do you think i mean this is the page here where I see him and the knight are standing off, and this guy's like, "I've been waiting for you to show your face here." And all of a they're getting shot at, and we see the pawn team come running in, saving the knight's life. So again, uh, I'm just yeah, there's no page numbers on here, so I'm not exactly sure where it's at, or what page number it's on. But it's a double, it's a uh, one of the splash page type things where. I mean, it's not a splash page per se. It's not one big scene across the page. But it's a double page where you open the page up and the panel, as you read them, goes across both pages instead of being taken to a single page. So uh, if you guys have read that issue of G.I. Joe, take a look. If I think about it, maybe I'll see that image digitally somewhere and I can post it on here also on the blog. But yeah, that guy looks very much like that Cobra Commander to me. Which well, again is not a bad thing, because I like I say I really G.I. Joe is one of my favorite books. That's why that's one of the other podcasts I started doing. So. Anyways, moving on from the Commander Attack in the Night. Uh, to so we get back to Aaron back out in the, the desert, he gets a sandstorm. Uh, so he puts his mask on, which filters out a lot of the dust particles. And he digs in. And the only potential problem I can see with the story is sometimes if you're not paying close enough attention. It's kind of hard to see where you might because again how both parts of it take place in the desert. Sometimes you kind of lose track of what's flashback and what's currently going on. And they try to alleviate that some by uh, it looks like to me anyways the flashback panels But see, not way, as I'm talking out loud, uh, most of the flashback panels, the, the white space between the panels is black, and the current stuff is, has white between the panels, like normal, but they don't do that all the time. So sometimes you can tell, and sometimes you can't. Like here on the, the page I was just referring to with, uh, it's got three rows of uh, panels, and the first two are clearly him in the past. That's when he's fighting Cobra Commander on the roof. And the last row, the first half, the first page of that is in the past. But then the second page is in the f- present because it goes from the Pawns telling him, you know, we were get out of here. We attracted attention to Aaron walking across the desert facing the sandstorm, and all of that's in black paneling. But then we go to the next page. It's back in white, and he's in the desert. He's getting buried by a, snow, or a snowstorm, a sandstorm. And then the panel below that shows these vehicles in the desert, and if it wasn't for the, the border coloring between the panels, you might, well, is this going on present time while he's being buried alive or what? But the black around the panel, and here clearly tells us that this is in the past. And part of my confusion at times is that Aaron, last we see of Aaron in present, he's being buried by the sandstorm. And then we see the trucks and everything parking. And then Aaron comes crawling up out of the sand like, like I imagine he would if he was buried for a while in the sand. But we got black borders around this. This tell us the past. So he jumps on the helicopter here. Uh, they start shooting at him. So, or I'm sorry. He's shooting at that. He shoots the helicopter. He hits the blades, and the rotor takes the helicopter down. Uh, he jumps off and lands in the sand. And again, this is there. they have still got a little black border around it, but and I'm again. This is where I'm assuming it's jumping back to the present because on one pound he's in full night gear, or staring at the helicopter, and the next we have a. Uh, this one here we're looking behind us so when we see the helicopter the next panel is right next to it it's got the black border along the top but no other borders are on the sides and then we see Aaron like he wasn't present just his mask and his torn costume and it's saying you know the sandstorm has gone i'm still alive and then we get back to the white borders that tells us that we're in what I'm calling present time so again it's it's not a major complaint Because, again, I'm enjoying the story. I'm enjoying the artwork. It's just the way they chose to do the present and the past isn't always... I don't want to say accurate, but... It's not always accurate. So, I don't know. Uh, Again, I'm enjoying this. This is a great story and a great artwork. But it just... I personally would... Rather have had, I know a lot of times in a lot of stories when they do flashbacks, they do like rounded bubbles. Um, and again, the black, I don't know, I'm, I'm talking this out, out loud as I, because the first time I read this, I don't know the first, I can't remember way back when, but when I read this for this uh, podcast, the first time I didn't catch the black and white change there. So some of these panels got a little uh, confusing about what was in the past, what was in the present. But now that I'm rereading it once again, I'm noticing that there's the black borders and it's only around, again, mostly the the flashback stuff. Uh, So there's just a few panels when it switches back and forth that there's, they should have made it a little clearer, I think. And as Aaron keeps taking the same direction that the helicopter went, he saw lights come up in the desert like a landing strip and then they went out real quick, which clued him in where to go. And then we get the last action See, I going to say here in the issue, where the Knight blows up the plane. Uh, he took some grenades off of it and uh, blew the plane up, launched more, blew up the helicopter and just started mowing him down. And of course, the Knight's triumphant. He kills the bad guy, uh, but as he's leaving, I see he's in a truck uh, with uh, the bad guys in my saying quotes. He pops out and uh, he tells Ash the mercenary to pull over, and uh, the other guy pulls a gun on him. So Aaron shoots him, and Ash tells him that you know he's working for a year a a year to crack this outfit, and he blew away his own lead. And he's like, you know, basically reveals he's the CIA, and so he kind of he kind of blames Aaron for messing up this whole thing. When yes, it was Aaron's fault, but again. If the CIA had talked of Checkmate, of course, yeah, I guess Checkmate no really supposed to know about, so... I understand the need for secrecy, but sometimes, such in this case, uh, secrecy can cause problems. Because if uh, the CIA had known about Checkmate, they could have notified them that they were running this case. But as it is, unfortunately, Aaron wiped out the only lead they had, so... I don't know, I mean, Checkmate, I mean, like I say, uh, seriously, can be a good thing for an organization like Checkmates. It's outruns, but if it hadn't been so secret, you know, there could have been some interagency inter- communication, and, well, they would have known about uh, the, the mission here. And again, the next issue blurb here tells us that uh, Checkmate returns turns book link stories as a trio of knights evade Karak, which we where he's been leading up to. And it says it's return to link stories, which means that yes, we have another little eight-page mini-story here, which we're going to cover right now. But before we get to that, I just want to wrap up this this part of the story, say that I, I do enjoy it. I'm enjoying the artwork, of course, and of course, uh, Paul Kupperberg's doing a fantastic job on the storytelling, on the the dialogue, um, and again, the whole interarrival. Rivalry, if you will the not necessarily rivalry but the fact that the cia didn't tell checkmate that they didn't know about i guess about their mission and don't blame that on him and that's i'm sure you know a reality if you think about it or as much of a reality as you can get from a comic book um but let's go ahead and we'll get to I think the conclusion that's next month or next issue uh, let's move on to the second story. It's entitled Night Game. It's eight pages. Once again, written by Paul Kupperberg, penciled by James Fry, inked by Alvey, letter was Albert Tobias de Guzman, and letter colorist was Juliana Freder. And the story continues with Reed as he continues his journey to become a knight. Reed's an NFL game while he waits the board's decision. While there, he spots a terrorist named Rudolph along with several of his associates. Reed phones in the situation of work control to a woman named Kayla, and then takes off to follow Rudolph. As Rudolph heads in to, broad, to the broadcast station, Reed buys a hat to help hide his identity. He then takes out Rudolph's associates one at a time. He finds the radio, calls into HQ, while Rudolph is on the television laying out a speech. Reed is told to hold off as the cavalry is on the way. Helicopters show up and start blasting the field, and as Reed fires back, he takes out one copter, the other one blasting at the booth. Reed jumps inside the booth, he faces down with Rudolph, who has her grenade. Seeing that the man is gonna use it, Reed blows him away, causing Rudolph to fall on his own grenade, blowing himself up. Kayla shows up as the police come busting into the control room, and she warns Reed that she won't have one of her knights running riot over the rules. She then tells him to give himself a real mask tomorrow, as his current one looks ridiculous. The end. Not only the end of this story, the end of this issue, but the end of Reed's uh, becoming a knight, if you will. And, again, this has been ongoing for the last couple of issues. It's an eight-page backup. We first met Reed in the first, I think it was the first issue of Checkmate. He was a pawn backing up the knights. And then, after a couple issues in, we have started following uh, Reed as he trained and Progressed towards becoming a knight. And this issue wraps it up. And uh, while I've enjoyed the main story, the the, uh, arm smuggling and trying to track all this down, for only being eight pages per issue, I'm really liking Reed's story. I like Reed. Uh, He's a bit of a lone wolf. He's kind of, you know... He's got that something extra that a superhero would have. Uh, Again, he kind of doesn't listen to rules... Doesn't listen to instructions, he does what he thinks needs to be done, what's best. I'm liking Reed, and again, it's been a while. Uh, hopefully, we see more of Reed in the future. I'm sure we will. Uh, so, they're saying so, they're spending so many issues building him up and, and uh, giving uh, letting us see him become a knight. I'm sure we're going to follow him a little bit more in the future. Again, he, like I say, Reed, you know, it's a pretty simple story. Reed sees uh, this known terrorist and his associates at the football game. He decides to follow them. Again, he knows Knights are supposed to hide their identity, so he buys a mask off a guy and uses it to help cover his hair and part of his face. And I don't know, maybe it's just because uh, due to family issues and work and other things, I haven't been able to record uh, my G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast last month or two, but I'm seeing a lot of G.I. Joe in this. Last story, we had the uh, guy, the assassin, looking like Cobra Commander. Uh, This time, uh, when Reed buys his hat off this guy, it makes him look kind of like Beachhead, (laughs) another G.I. Joe character. So, again, like, you know, he takes out these guys rather quickly, and then he radios in and lets uh, Rook Control know that, you know, what Rudolph's planning. And, like, when he's talking to uh, Kayla at Rook Control, She's in the background, kind of like what, as uh, the Irredeemable Shag and Rob refer to as a uh, serpent, I believe. It's like in blue in the background. And it shows him that, you know, he's holding position. The squad's on the way, not to do anything. And Reed realizes that by the time they arrive, people could die. So he pulls the mask down all the way, covering his face. And again, it makes him look even more like Beachhead with this green mask he's got on. And as the area storm in, that's why, as I said, the helicopters show up, but he realizes it's not theirs. They start shooting at the players in the field. Reed blows out one helicopter, the others start shooting him, which is on he's on top of the control booth. Which causes them to shoot the control booth. He leaps into the control booth and faces down Rudolph. And Reed can tell from his eyes that he's gonna kill people anyways and it's uh, the only uh, the only issue I have with the story is the way that uh, when Reed kills Rudolph he falls forward and lands on the grenade uh, I understand for story principles it had to be that way I think it was a little forced other than that it's a great story I say I enjoy Reed I like here at the end he's still a pawn and when the police show up, Kyla's with him, and she tells the police that it's alright, he's one of his men her men. And she just starts laying into him, telling, you know, since you are mine, I can give you hell for disobeying orders. And he gave you Rudolph. I warn you, Mr. Reed, this is the last time I'll have one of my knights running right over this rules. You understood? And Reed's like, Yeah, but uh, wait a minute, one of yours? And that's when he realizes he's actually been promoted, he's actually been made a knight. And Kyla walks away first, you know, with this one panel. It's the last page of the story here. Kind of, you see she, she looks like she's a little angry at him. But she's yelling at him. And as she walks away, she's got a bit of a grin and a mischief look in her eyes. Like, you heard me. Oh, and first thing tomorrow? You still have a real mask, huh? That thing looks ridiculous. He's like, anything you say, ma'am. And at this point, he's got the, the ski mask on with the lower half of it torn off around his mouth. Uh, again, as I said, quick notes on this. I, I enjoyed the story. I thought that, uh, again, except that minor little thing about the, and again, the body falling on the grenade, it might have been a better way of doing that, but I'm not going to knock Paul Kupperberg for doing it that way. Again, he's one of the masters, so he knows best. Uh, Other than that, it was a great issue. Like I said, I enjoyed Reed's uh, progress to becoming uh, a knight, but I think that's going to do it for this part of the story. Uh, Hold tight, kids. I'll be right back with you.
0: We'll be back with much more fun. Now don't you change that channel, son. Hi, friends. It's your old pal, Adam Worth. You may remember me from podcasts like Comic Book Fight Club, The Quantum Cast, and the thousands of other shows I somehow get roped into making guest appearances on. The podcasting world has been very good to me, and I feel it's about time that I give back. So coming this spring, I'll be helping to make the world a better place with my new show, The Bad Advice Show. Join me and a few choice panelists as we answer your questions on life, love, relationships, history, life hacks, and politics. Really, Whatever topics you feel you would like to get my valued opinion on. So hop on the advice train as we make the world a better place coming this spring to an internet streaming device near you. To have your questions answered on The Bad Advice Show, send us an email at thebadadviceshow at yahoo.com. That's the bad advice Show at yahoo.com. And remember kids, if you want to remain anonymous, don't tell me your name. Hey, who likes Wild Dog? Who let the dog sound? Who, 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 who? who the sound? No, 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 no. I am taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the S&G feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog. Watch for it at SNGpod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Vance, why do we even own that CD? You ain't nothing but a hound. You know? We are green from head to toe. Now we go back to the show.
1: Now let's go ahead and move on to our next title, Suicide Squad number 19. Cover date was November of 1988. To buy this off the newsstand, again August the 2nd of 1988. The cover price was one dollar. Editor Robert Greenberger. Writer, as usual, the wonderful John Oschinger. The penciler was Luke McDonald. Inker, Robert Lewis. Letterer, Todd Klein. Colorist, Carl Gafford. And the cover was penciled by Joe Browzowski and inked by Carl Kiesel, or Kessel. Uh, this story actually takes place or before or right around the same time as the annual, which I covered last episode and also over on my Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour podcast. Uh, so, at the 10,000 foot level, as buddy of the show The Irredeemable Shag is fond of saying, uh, this is basically the, a day in the life of Amanda Waller. It starts off with Nemesis returning from being incarcerated over in Russia, a story I covered with Paul Hicks back on episode 23, which was the JLI Suicide Squad crossover. Murph lets Amanda know that he's back. Amanda returns to studying the Ifrit device with Simon Legreeve. Yvonne Calendar, which is their head scientist, and I believe this is her first appearance, and Rack, which is you know Shade, the Changing Man. They say that Mindboggler's brain was used as a template for Ifrit, and they're trying to figure out if they can reprogram her to serve the Suicide Squad. Seeing how it's Earth technology, Rack figures he can figure it out. His M vest somehow interferes and activates Ifrit, and the two battle. Amanda saving the day by turning the device off. She questions Shade about how his suit set it off, and he says he has no clue how the suit works. He's a policeman, not a scientist. He figures since Earth technology is so backwards and that he understands basic meta and tech, he can figure it out. Wall tells him that if he peeps it up, she'll personally kick his butt back to the meta zone. Waller then goes off to deal with a fight between Briscoe and Savosky, who's the head mechanic. Savosky doesn't want Briscoe sleeping in Shiva, and Briscoe doesn't want anyone touching his copter. Amanda tells Briscoe that Savosky is the head mechanic and that he's going to do maintenance on all equipment. And then she tells Savosky that it's fine if Briscoe sleeps in Sheba. That way she knows where he's at. As they leave, Amanda and the Grieve discuss the two men. Savosky is pretty well adjusted, considering he just came out of the closet. Briscoe, on the other hand, well, he's another case entirely. He's named his helicopter after his dead child, and he's sleeping with him. We also find out that Marine hers, and Deadshot have both taken a leave of absence. This is referred to the Deadshot miniseries, which I'll be covering soon here on Task Force X. Nightshade, meanwhile, is talking with Father Kramer about the whole Nightshade Odyssey ordeal, which I covered with Ryan Daly back in episode 24. Nightshade is trying to deal with the fact that A, she has a demon in her, and B, that she joined the Suicide Squad to find and save her brother. With him dead, she doesn't know what to do. Kramer told her to hold off and make any decisions until she knows what she wants to do. Later, Amanda is watching some security footage from Belrev Rev when they were attacked by the female Furies. Uh, this is back during the Millennium crossover. She invites Duchess to come in, and she tells her that if she watches the footage, she can see that two Furies are fighting each other, and as they let go of the heavy armament, you can see a body go flying away that they never could find. Amanda calls Duchess Lashina. Duchess claims that she still has amnesia and doesn't know what Wooler's talking about. She said next time she would like to see some cartoons. Maybe you should meet Sam. It reminds her of her granny. Amanda's trying to figure out why Lashina is playing amnesiac and just hanging around the Suicide Squad. Later in the afternoon, Amanda attends to interview another potential member, Dr. Light, who, again, another promo, me and Ryan talked about over in episode 37 of a Secret Origins podcast. Light said that he's heard talk about the, around the prison yard and he'd like to join up as long as they don't fight children when he threatens to expose the squad if they don't use them Waller says that the last person that threatened her like that ended up dying in the prison yard she sends them back to his cell as John Econos says he doesn't remember any prisoners dying and that he should know about this because he's the warden Waller admits that she lied she does that sometimes they're not sure if they want to use him as he's a joke as she's trying to decide what to do about the Tolliver situation, guess who shows up? Yep, Tolliver. Comes in, threatens her some more. Rick happens to be coming by and overhears the conversation, and he threatens the row Tolliver's brains out. Amanda forces him with her gun to let him go. When Tolliver demands that Rick be arrested, Waller turns his gun on him and tells him to leave. As the issue ends, Amanda gets a phone call from Harry Stein over a checkmate that makes her smile. The end. Now, for my thoughts on this issue, as normal, we're going to start with the cover. Uh, the cover is basically it shows a woman's hand. I'm assuming it's Amanda's hand on a, a desk with one, two, three, four, five, five uh, file folders and pictures spread out. Uh, the topmost picture is a picture of looks like uh, probably Rack, aka Shade, the Changing Man. Then we have a picture of Amanda threatening, I'm assuming, Dr. Light. Then we have Duchess. And on her photograph it says Personal Files 1988. And then we have a photo of Nightshade and Father Kramer. And then finally we have Rick threatening Tolliver. I like that this is laid out. I mean, it looks like I mean these are all individual scenes, if you will a clip from each of the little stories in this this issue. It's one long narrative about a day in the life of Amanda Waller, but there's a, little, you know, a bunch of little stories in here, basically. Uh, we get, you know, and this guy kind of tells us the different stories. We get Rack, a.k.a. Okay, Shade, which is the whole Ifrit and his is invas- setting it off. We get Amanda threatening Dr. Light. I like that she's got him in the, by the collar, lifting him up. And you can't really tell who that is that she's threatening. The Suicide Squad logo goes over part of his face, so it's hard to make out who it is. Uh, having read the issue and just covering the synopsis, uh, I'm pretty sure that's Dr. Light. Uh, we get Duchess holding a gun, firing it, and that one there gives the name of the issue, or a sub name, if you will. Uh, personal Files 1988, which tells us that they're going to probably do this. Personal Files uh, once a year or so, probably. Uh, and then we get the Nightshade Father Kramer uh, candid photo there and on there. It has my and Oshender, Luke McDonald, and Bob Lewis. Yeah, uh, like I say it's got. And then it's got the like I say the final one, which shows the conversation between Rick and Tolliver. Uh, I like the way this is laid out. Again, the artwork on this it's it's good artwork. It's, it's it fits the issue. Uh, Duchess, may I say, is quite hot taking a page from the Irredeemable Shag's book. Uh, I, I like the fact that we've got all these pictures, these folders laid out, and we've got Amanda's hand laying on them. Uh, like, she's ready to start looking through them. Uh, we see, I'm just, again, I'm assuming this is Amanda. Uh, the hand here's not quite as, and maybe I'm wrong. The hand's not quite as dark as uh, Amanda in the photo with her and Dr. Light and as dark yeah, as Amanda's usually portrayed. Another thing that, you know, I, I thought it was Amanda originally, but I'm having second thoughts now about it being Amanda. hand on this. I don't know who that would be. It looks feminine. Uh, it looks like there's a small wedding ring on her uh, ring finger, on her hand that's on the desk. It's her left hand. And I, I, she, I know she, she's widowed I don't recall ever seeing a wedding ring on any pictures of her in active stories. Uh, I'm just kind of glancing through the book here and we don't get many shots of her of her left hand, of her ring finger hand, and the, the few that we do get I, I don't see a ring on it. Uh, as the song goes, if you like it, put a ring on it. that's another story entirely. Uh, so I'm not quite sure if, if this is supposed to be Amanda or if this is supposed to be Flo. Though Flo's not married, I don't think. Because if I'm not mistaken, Flo's got a thing for Ben. Uh, A.K. Brown, Bronze Tiger. But she is a lighter skinned black than Amanda. Uh, so I'm not sure any interest, I'm glancing through the issues I'm talking about this. Here on page uh, 18, uh, we do see a little better shot, a little bit, and no ring there. But i spent way too much time, more time than probably the writer even thought about. So let's go ahead and move on to the actual story itself. So as I said, this is the personnel, personnel Files for Amanda Waller. And it starts off with a quote from Charles Dickens, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And this shows a little insight to Amanda, she's well read. Uh, she said that, you know, she. The Tell Two Cities, she liked that book since she first read in college, likes Dickens a lot. Uh, so again, it kind of it shows it, not only does it fit with the story, it's the best of times, and the worst of times, but it also it, it shows a man is well read. And, and again, this story's not necessarily the worst of times. As she said, the worst of times when she lost her husband, two of her children. Uh, but again, to quote from the story here. I can quote this whole sentence here, this whole section. It's not the worst of times. No, back when I lost my husband and two of my children, that was the worst of times. But it's a long way away from being the best of times, and that's a fact. And I I can relate to Amanda here on this page. I mean, uh, here I am. I'm 46, married with four kids. And I've had some good days. I've had some bad days. And some days I think it may be the worst day. But then I get thinking about actually... Much like Amanda, I've lost family members. I, my brother died, as I've mentioned, mainly over my Head Speaks podcast. So, again, that was the worst of days. So, when you look at your bad days, after you've had a tragedy like losing a family member, someone you love like that, even you may have some bad days, but if you stop and put in perspective and think about it, it's possibly not your worst day. So, I, I can definitely relate to Amanda. She's having a bummer day. And so this is the end of the day, and she's basically writing her journal about what's happened in the previous day. As I said in synopsis, uh, we get, we start up Bell Rev, and I like this, she goes, "The the day didn't start bad, just a little crinkly around the reality edges. And speaking of which, at the bottom of this page, we get someone knocking on the door, and Murph answers the door, and Murph's standing there. Both, and it's, it's like he's looking into a mirror. They're both standing there staring at each other, both smoking cigarettes, and the, the new Murph's like, hey Murph, next thing we Murph Murph's on the phone, Ms. Waller, Murph, Nemesis is back. And I really like the way the scene plays out. I mean, Murph opens the door, sees another Murph there, and he doesn't bat an eye. he's just like, hey, Waller, Nemesis is here. And then here at the bottom of page three, we're introduced to uh, Professor Callender, who we find out is the chief scientist And Amanda and the crew is uh, trying to figure out if they can reprogram Ifrit, aka Mindboggler, to work for them. The comments made that uh, back when Nightshade infiltrated the Jihad, she got some notes that says that apparently they keep her or keep whoever's the Ifrit device in a virtual reality program to kind of help keep their insanity. And uh, one comment on this on page three here: Amanda Waller looks a little shorter than normal, but again, it's not a problem. It's just, it's, or maybe it's just her standing amongst these other people. She's like almost half their size, almost like a kid. I, I would think that she's being drawn a little shorter here than she normally is. But my observation here is that this Amanda is much more different than the the new 52 Amanda, as I've complained about numerous times. And again, I mean, you've got a short, stocky, overweight woman here who, you know, is by no means a supermodel compared to what you have in the new 52. And yeah, I've said it before. I'll say it again and again and again. I, I love this version of Amanda. And she's going to prove here in just a minute one thing why, one reason why I love her. Uh, so again, as they're talking about the device, you get uh, Rack, a.k.a. Shade. Again, he's from an alternate dimension, another world. He thinks that just because his world is more advanced than ours, that filters down to him automatically knowing everything he needs to know about things. And so he grabs his device and he's taking a look at it. And then knowing to him, he acts as suit Somehow interferes with the device and sets it off. And there's this on page four neat little... I want to say, fight between uh, Ifrit and Shade. But not much of a fight, really. Uh, Ifrit comes out of the device. Uh, Rack powers up his invests, And then Ifrit attacks him, and when she hits the shield, uh, you see his, his uh, Vest and the, the Aura sparking. And he's starting to see delusions i guess he's seeing you know his enemies his his ex fiance. and then suddenly the uh ifriti disappears back into the machine and amanda's standing there holding the machine and rack's like how did you and she's like hit the recall button rick he's like rack my name's Rack. rack amanda's all wrong it's mud that stupid investor yours must have triggered the device What you warned us that might happen he's like i didn't know and he goes on saying that he didn't build the invest he, He's a cop, not a scientist. And here where he gets, you know, very arrogant, he's like, oh, it's, she's like, what do you tell me? It's something like, the, you know, your vest can interfere with the IFRIT device. And he's like, well, oh, it's Earth's own technology, isn't it? Which is relatively primitive compared to meta. Yes, I have enough basic knowledge of meta and devices. And so, so basically, again, he's, as a uh, last issue, he's kind of looking down his nose at Earth technology, thinking that it's, it's, a uh, far uh below met in technology and since he's from a different world a different uh, reality if you will dimension he, he thinks that he's above everything that america you know, america everything that uh here on earth can do just by nature and so and this just kind of proves that he doesn't know everything and I like the Amanda's is like boy you keep up this attitude and i will personally see to it that you get your Get back to your blamed metazone kick your butt there. I just love this scene here where, you know, she's telling him off. It's a great scene. It's classic Amanda. And, you know, and LaGrieve gives her the phone. She's like, yeah, what? And then we get, that was in Flo telling Amanda that there's a situation going on. It also brings in a subplot about... A black orchid leaving flowers on the system. Apparently, she's using the terminals for something. And they don't know what it is. Flo just thinks she's an information junkie. And Amanda's like, well, Have you done anything up on her? And Flo's like, No, nothing so far. And I'm like, This, she's like, So she said, well, Have you done anything up on her? And Flo's like, Not so far. Maybe she's just an information junkie. And Amanda's like, Yeah, and maybe I'm Wonder Woman. And then after uh, Amanda leaves, you know, she says, you know, Rax shouldn't touch anything else till he knows what he's doing. Rex get all defensive. He's like, "Not my fault. Earth technology is backward." And then I think Doctor Calendar's kind of hitting on him a little bit. She's like, "Tell you what, handsome, you'll upgrade our technology. I'll help you upgrade your manners, deal." And Rax's like, "Is there something wrong with my manners?" And Callender's like, "It's more backward than our technology, but a little private schooling, you'll be okay, handsome." And just the way that she says, you know, she wants to go some private schooling. Uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a dirty old man. But it looks to me like uh, Doctor Callender here is hitting on our uh, rack. So I don't. I don't know. We'll see if that develops any further. But uh, again, she, as yeah, she insinuates, his manners are very, very backwards, if you will. He, he's very rude and very, very arrogant about things he doesn't know nothing about. And then, as I said in the uh, synopsis, we get Briscoe fighting with Savosky, uh, who I believe his name is probably Mitch. And, you know, they're fighting, they got big uh, wrenches, they're banging, clanging each other with them, and guys are spread around them, you know, basically like a school a schoolyard uh, fight. And one like, get him, Mitch, land Joe Briscoe. Got five, says the wacko takes the swish. And so they're fighting, and all of a sudden a hammer comes landing down. wang, And stops the two of them in their tracks. And a man just stands after another hammer. She's like, You boys really want to fight? I'm ready to lay you out. Or you tell me what this is all about. And as we... I talked about synopsis. Uh, Mitch, uh, the head mechanic here, is upset that Briscoe's been sleeping in the copter. And Briscoe is a, a bit of a... Uh, he's a bit of a, a jackass here. He's like... He's all... Told the queer nobody touches sheba but me. Don't listen good. <laughs> Mitch is all rather be gay than a wacko any day of the week. Creep, who you calling a wacko, Savosky? And Amanda throws another hammer. She's like, that was my last hammer. If I have to come down there and get another, you are both in a world of trouble. So again, even though Briscoe is one of our our heroes, if you will, I mean he's not a prisoner. Uh, it shows that. Even our our good guys can be, you know, bigots and uh, a bit of a jerk. And I don't know if he's else besides Mitch, besides the fact that Mitch is gay, but that's the way it comes across to me. And, uh, again, I'd like to say that, you know, this was in, uh, as I said, 1998. This is 2016. I would hope that we've come farther in, in our world and our understanding that that people would look at this and think Briscoe is very out of sync and very, you know, what's he talking about? But sadly, uh, you can see the, this kind of attitude towards other people, you know, just because someone's gay, you know, people can think down about them and, and pet them down. And basically this attitude that Briscoe has is still prevalent here in, uh, in America today. So uh, you would think over the last 20, 30 years we would evolve. Apparently not enough. But anyways, Amanda sets the law down and says that, you know, that Mitch is running Jaeger. His job is to make sure all the vehicles are attended to. Make sure they're all attended properly. And that include Sheba. And she tells Mitch to let Briscoe sleep wherever he wants. That way she knows where to find him. So, And again, she's like, if either or both of you are tired of working here, keep up this full feud. I'll slap you out of the street so quick it'll make you sick. You understand? And they're both just like, yes. So, again, this is one thing I really love about, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I love about this version of Amanda that she's very headstrong, very, very confident, very... You could almost call her, and excuse my language here, if you don't hear her, skip 30 seconds, but you can call her a bitch and not be far off. But, again, she she takes that and she empowers it and she she brings it to the front and, I don't know, it's just she's very much out there. And as they leave, she talks to the grieve and asking, you know, what do you think? And this, is where we find out that apparently Mitch, and again, I'm going by his first name cause I'm having a hell of a time pronouncing his last name. Uh, he's very well adjusted. He's recently came out as being homosexual and Briscoe. On the other hand, as I said, in synopsis, uh, he named his helicopter after his child. He sleeps with the helicopter. And as you might imagine, and that may be a bit why, it may not be so much he's a jerk, it may just be he's got some other issues that we haven't been made aware of yet, that we're finding out here, that apparently he's got a dead kid, he sl- he, he sleeps in his helicopter, he, he refers to his helicopter by his child's name. So again, it let's us know a little more about Briscoe's background. and I, you know, And it's just a little character study, if you will. I, I like this. And then, as I said in my synopsis, uh, she asked about Maureen Hers, And we go a little footnote here uh, that apparently she's, missed, she's gone uh, AWOL. Well, not AWOL. She's taking a leave of absence. to Look at Deadshot's past, and they haven't heard from him either. And it makes reference to Deadshot number one, which was still on sale. Speaking of Deadshot number one, I'm not 100% sure yet, but I'm thinking uh, next month covering the 4-issue Deadshot miniseries or I may divide it up into two episodes I'm trying not to stall too long because I'm trying to get this to match up a little bit with my Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour because in a couple months here I say a couple months it'll probably be uh, I think it's the early part or middle of next year we're going to be covering the Janus Directive and the two podcasts are going to intersect I'm still working on the details of how to handle that But stay tuned for more news on the Jazz Directive. Like I said, it'll probably be the the middle of 2017. But as far as the Deadshot miniseries, like I said, I'll probably cover that either next issue or over the next two episodes. And then we get Amanda asking about Nightshade and that fiasco to save her brother, which we covered uh, back on our episode 24, the two-year anniversary episode I did with Ryan Daly. And uh, he says that, again, it's a little segue to Nightshade talking with Father Kramer about it. And as I said in the synopsis, the succubus was confined within her. And I think this is the first time since the whole Nightshade Odyssey that we get to find out how the whole ordeal affected Eve. Uh, She's talking about how she now has a demon inside of her. And she wonders if that makes her damned and again i've mentioned this previous i believe but just to reiterate uh this demon she has inside of her uh is the succubus that's the same demon that was in side of enchantress at one time as we saw in the suicide squad movie so it's a little tie in there to the suicide squad movie uh, again they didn't have anything nightshade nice in the movie but they had incubus and succubus in case she wasn't clear from the, the movie and the dialogue, that was the, the demon, if you will, that was inside of Enchantress. Um, so going back to the story itself here, though, and again, that's probably why she now has that different costume, because prior to that she had the little miniskirts and the little mask. Now she's got, like, a full bodysuit. Uh, it's having, you know, this fundamental change she went under it kind of cha- changed her more than just a costume change, if you will. And so Father Kramer gives her some words of advice. You know, he's like, Do you think God's, do you think God's that petty or that unaware? Basically, that, you know, he's telling, in his opinion, God wouldn't punish her for something that's not her faults. And then he says, You know, and he talks about how it's amazing how, as I'm going to quote him here on page uh, 11, it looks like. Uh, father kramer's like you know it's amazing how much perverse pride people seem to take in their sins oh no my offense against god is too great i'm the greatest sinner the world has ever seen i can't be forgiven and then he goes on to say how that was the real sin of judas not betraying christ but he, he didn't believe he could be forgiven and that led to suicide and that's what i doomed him. Uh, again i'm gonna going to go into the whole the whole biblical and the whole the whole theological aspect of it podcast for that that's all ran on that elsewhere but <laughs> I like how father Kramer he, he's doing his job you know Eve is about ready to quit the team and uh, father Kramer talks her out of it tells her, you know basically not as I said in the synopsis uh, that she should wait until she knows what she wants to do before she goes making changes basically give time for her her mental self to settle down after her brother dying and her whole experience. And then we get to the part of the story I talked about, where Amanda's watching security footage of the female Furies attacking. Uh, We open this page, uh, what is this, page 12, and we see a close-up of Lashina, then an extreme close-up of her face, and we see Amanda Waller watching the tape as Duchess comes in. And basically, uh, this is, in case you weren't aware yet, if you listen to this podcast, and if you listen to, I think it was me and Hicks, a couple of episodes ago, talking about this scene uh, or about Lashina and Duchess, uh, this basically lets us know that uh, if you didn't weren't aware yet that Duchess and Lashina are the same person, and Amanda basically reveals that she knows that Duchess is actually Lashina. The only thing is she doesn't know why Lashina is hanging off the Suicide Squad, and again, it's been. Thirty years almost since I've read these books, I, I can't remember Leshina's game plan. I think I remember, uh, if I stop and think about it. But uh, again, that won't see, we won't see that fruit for another. Uh, I think it's like eighteen issues or so before her whole plan comes to fruition. So, but like I think it says she's you know she's basically saying she has amnesia, she doesn't remember anything before she joined the squad. And if she's leaving, she says, you know, thanks for the film. Next time, how about a cartoon? I think you Sydney Sam Best. Reminds me of my granny. Bye. And if she says granny in in the uh, the lettering, it's in bold black letters compared to everything else, which I read as supposed to, you know, reminds me of my granny. I'm referring to Granny Goodness. And that kind of confirms, if there's any doubt in Waller's mind, that Lashina is Duchess, and as she said, she's taking amnesia. I'm certain of that, but why? What game is she playing? What is she up to? I do not like being played for a fool. And then, as we have that that thought balloon of hers, uh, we show her walking in, and we see Flo sitting behind a, a, a monitor, listening to probably a police band. And it's saying the mass villain called the Mirror Master has struck a new, another New Orleans bank. So I, I like you don't really realize it here. Uh, I don't think we we've, we've seen it yet. But again, I get mixed up in my head what I've talked about here on the show and what I've read in the comics. I remember some of these stories really good because such great stories and great writing and art. But so again, so this whole her Me play for a fool and the Mirror Master striking. Uh, we'll see more of that later on. In fact, I think it's going to be up here in the next couple of, uh, couple of issues, which I'll cover in a couple months or so. And then we get to uh, Amanda and Bronze Tiger and the Warden talking with Dr. Light. Dr. Light, if you're not familiar with him, will become a fixture in the Suicide Squad. Uh, me and Ryan Daly talked about him back on episode, I think it was 38 or 39 of his Secret Origins podcast, uh, which just ended. Uh, it was a great show. Check out Ryan's Secret Origins podcast. Uh, like I say, it ran 50 some odd episodes. Uh, but enough bragging. Talk about Ryan's show. But yeah, we did talk about the origins, Secret Origins Doctor Light over there, which will eventually tie into this book. Uh, not necessarily the Secret Origin, but Doctor, well, actually I guess it will. So yeah, definitely go read, go read and listen to that Secret Origins podcast and the, the Ep issue and check it out. Because again, that eventually that will tie into the Suicide Squad book. And I'm not going to cover it again, I don't think. But definitely I do I will recommend it and I will talk about it once we get further along. Uh, but again, so Doctor likes to tell him here's her through the prison grapevine. That, like, just dialogue here, because again, just, I love Oshinger's dialogue. Uh, they're like, Well, how'd you hear about us? And Dr. Light says, Prison grapevine. Word has it that those who are, how shall I say, willing to show the repentance for their crimes could earn early release. Am I right? By the way, you don't work with children, do you? And the warden's like, Well, yeah, take on submissions for the government. You succeed, you survive, keep your trap shut. Yeah, maybe. And, Again, Dr. Light's like, Well, I'd like to be considered for such a program. Uh, By the way, you don't fight children, do you? Amanda just straight to the point, she's like, You're a total loser, Light. Couldn't beat a bunch of 12-year-olds. We need someone dangerous. And real quick, to interject here. First, I like how he keeps mentioning, You "You don't work with children, do you? You We don't fight children, do we? And a lot of people might look at that and say, Oh, well, you know, he's a kind criminal. He doesn't want to hurt any children. No, if you know Dr. Light, that's not the case at all. For the last several years, he's basically been the Teen Titans punching bag. and I believe it was be- that's how we end up here, I believe, is from uh, an issue of the Flash. Uh, they had a bonus book with a story of the Little boy Blue or Little boy blues, a group of three little kids. And they be- they have no if I'm not mistaken, it's been since awesome, I've read that book. They have no powers, but they beat the stuffing out of Dr. Light also and got him sent back here in jail. So that's why he, he's very reticent about not wanting to go against children. It's not that he's a swell guy, it's just that he doesn't want to get his butt kicked by the kids again. And again, that's why Dr. Light is referring to, and I guess maybe they weren't little kids, maybe they probably teenagers. Uh, again, it's been a while since I've read that bonus book. But that's, I think that's what Amanda's referring to when she says he couldn't beat a bunch of 12-year-olds. Either that, or she's referring to him being beat by the Titans. Uh, One of the two, maybe both. But then here at the end of page 15, after, you know, she says, You couldn't beat a bunch of 12-year-olds, we need someone dangerous. Dr. Light threatens her, he's like, You'll use me, damn you. Or I'll blow the lid right off. And then the next panel, (laughs) it's just... We see Dr. Light's head, the back of his head in shadow. And we see uh, Warden Kamos. Bronze Tiger, uh, Ben Turner, because he's not in his outfit, and the wall just staring at him. And the look, look on all three of these men's faces is priceless. And uh, Waller's like, y- You're not the first one to make that threat. Go up into the last one to make it. And starts like, No, 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 I don't, no. And Waller's like, Died. Hey, exercise yard. Got knifed in the back. And so all of a sudden, Dr. Light's singing another tune. He's like, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I'm just kidding. Swear to God, please. And they take it back to his cell, and he's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I like that, man, to you know, basically staring him down when he's like, you know what, if you don't let me your squad, I'm going to, you know, tell everyone about you guys. And the manager looks at him straight back right away. She's like, you know what? You do that. Someone else tried that once before. I had him killed, basically. what well, she's not, You know, she's threatening to have him killed if need be. And again, like, her next thing here, actually, I think this has been... He says, at the risk of sounding sadistic, that was kind of fun. Sure as hell put the fear of God into him. And Amanda's like, as long as he has the fear of Waller, that's all I want. And again, that's very much Amanda Waller. Uh, she wants everyone terrified of her, bowing down to her. And then to Kanos, he's like, which prisoner have we got killed in the yard? I mean, I'm supposed to be the warden here, among other things, and I've never heard about it. And Waller's like, that's because it didn't happen, John. I told a total lie. I do that sometimes. So again, which goes to show that Amanda while she she isn't you know a, a saint by any means, but she you know she will use lies and deceit at her disposal to to get her own end and to do what she needs to do. And then here we got you know again. This is a, as I've talked about before. This is a serious, uh, dark and gritty book. But John is a master at it. Not only is his book serious, but he's able to slip in some humor at times. I hear the last three panels of page 17. They're talking about Doctor Light, and Ben is like, "So we're gonna use him." And Man is like, "Maybe needs some fresh blood, and we're not sure about your boy Ra- Ra- Ravon, yet." Who he got, was part of the jihad that that was last issue. Uh, he was able to get him to join up with him. But as he's saying that, Kamos is leaning back in his chair, putting his hand behind his head, he's going, The guy's a joke. He gets beat up by kids. Why do we need another putz? And also he falls back, crash. And then one of them, I'm not sure which, because the the word bubble almost looks like it's coming from Amanda, so I, I guess it's Amanda saying it. She's like, I don't know. I thought maybe we'd make a warden. What do you say, Johnny? Johnny being John Oconos, the, the warden. And he's like, ho, 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 ow. <laughs> So again, so we got this, you know, rather serious book and we're getting into some more serious issues of it here in just a second, but John's able to, John Ostinger, not John Conless, but John Osinger's able to throw some, a, a clever little comedy scene here in the middle of the story. And I don't know, maybe it's just me and I, I worship the, the ground the man walks on, but I think uh, John did an excellent job here. He's able to take this comedy beaten and put it right between all the serious stuff going on. And it, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like it's out of place. I, I think it's great here. And then we cut to uh, Amanda drawing a picture of her shooting uh, Tolliver and Senator Cray. And we're looking at the final part of the story. And it's basically been an ongoing subplot. That right now our biggest problem is Senator Cray and Tolliver who used to be the liaison he first showed up back in, uh, it was episode 12 of my show, the, the one year anniversary I did of uh, the Irredeemable Shag. When we talked about the Firestorm Annual and Firestorm 65 when the Suicide Squad uh, showed up to stop Firestorm and ended up fighting against the Justice League. Uh, Tulliver was their liaison at that point and that was his first appearance. And he showed up in the book a couple of times. And then the last time we saw him again, he was threatening Amanda, getting wanting her team to work for Cray to get him elected. Uh, and so again, she talks here, and she's it's, you see the time; it's two fifteen in the morning, and she's saying how basically what I recapped it: if she doesn't help get Cray get reelected, they'll blow the whistle on the squad's cover. And she's like, and the president don't want that; not spoil this place in history. So he thinks anyway. And I imagine, I mean, this is, as I said, uh, 88. So I think in real life, we had an election by this point, and Bush was president, Bush Sr., for the kids out there. That was uh, George W. Jr.'s daddy uh, was president before him. Uh, I believe this is when when Bush was president, but I believe they're still referring to Reagan, because this is still referring to the, the earlier 80s, I believe when Reagan was ending his term in office. And so again, Amanda says, you know, that her one chance, that Tolliver got booted out before Checkmate started, so he doesn't know about them. If they didn't dig up some dirt. And again, in his last issue, she called uh, Harry Stein over at Checkmate and asked him to look into some stuff. So, uh, you know, we haven't seen anything in Checkmate about this, and I don't think we get any references in Checkmate to this as far as I recall, but so far there's nothing. And again, so as like Tolliver shows up and uh, he's, you know, looking at her office and ready to assume command when he needs to. And all of a sudden uh, Rick Flagg knows nothing about what's going on. He overhears his conversation. So like he comes in he throws Tolliver against the wall and he's like, Who's got who nailed chump? Huh? Huh?" Amanda's like, much did you hear, Colonel? Everything. I was right outside. Came to make a report and overheard the whole damn thing. Now I'm going to... About this time, Amanda stands up and pulls her gun on him. He says, You're letting him go right now. Or I swear to God, I'm redecorating my office with your brains. And we got a panel of the Mexican standoff. Uh, Flag's got his gun to Tolliver. Uh, to Amanda's got her gun in him. And I'm going to make another comment here. I've talked about the uh, Suicide Squad movie. Um, I, again, I liked Amanda. Even though she wasn't quite as heavy as our Amanda is, I still think uh, Viola Davis did a great job as Amanda Waller. And I could see her in this role. Uh, but Amanda Waller's the used, like on the CW and the Green Lantern movie. She just doesn't come across the same to me. Maybe it's just my own perceptions. but And then Rick Flagg. I think I said it here in the, when I talked about the Suicide Squad movie. I, I didn't care much for Joe Kinnaman's Rick Flag. He just didn't come across as Rick Flag. And especially as I'm rereading these stories. And I'm thinking about Joel Kidman's Flag character. I, the more I reread Flag in here, the, the less I like Joel Kinnaman's Flag. Uh, but back to the story. After uh, Rick leaves, Tolliver, Sergio, Rant and Raven... I want that maniac arrested right now. Do you hear me? And the man just like real low, like, get out, Tolliver. And again, Tolliver comes over and just towers over. He's like, oh, I said. And she turns and he's got the gun right in his face, like, out. And then we end this issue, uh, how she has to go to Washington. And she tells him that tomorrow, she says, tomorrow starts in five hours. And it's going to be worse unless that phone and also starts ringing. She, Waller, yeah? What you got, Harry? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What about Tolliver? Uh-huh. No, that's fine, Harry. That's just fine. <laughs> so again, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this leads into the Suicide Squad annual, that, that backup story that I talked about last episode, uh, where Amanda was headed out. And again, it tells us next issue. Mirror Master joins the squ- The squad. So again, I mentioned uh, Flo was listening to the police band whatever, we talking about, the, uh, about Mirror Master. So uh, again, we're going to see that dovetail into here. And that wraps up this issue. Uh, before I finish up here, I do want to make another comment here in the letters page. Uh, they're talking about issue 15, the second part of the, the uh, Nightshade Odyssey. Uh, one thing I want to point out, there is a letter here from T.M. Maple, who was an old-time letter hack. Back when I was reading comics, or when I started reading comics, uh, he was always writing into all these different comics. Uh, but the thing I wanted to point out here is that uh, a guy named George Gustines from New York, New York wrote in, talking about how they need some more strong female characters in the book. He likes to see Batgirl. Actually, let me back that up here. He said they need more female characters. and He hopes this keeps up, especially after DC killed off one of its potential great characters, Batgirl. And he talks how he likes to see Firehawk and Magenta, who, by the way, Magenta has shown up on CW's The Flash recently. Uh, but anyways, so he said he likes to, you know, he's saying how they use Manhunter to uh, capture some more uh, females that show up in the squad since John Austin is writing the Manhunter, which you would know if you're listening to my Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour podcast. Uh, but again, the the answer to this. I believe, is by, uh, probably... I'm not sure if John's writing this, or if it's the editor. But, uh... Probably the editor, Bob. But he says, and his response is Batgirl may be dead, but Barbara Gordon is recovering. Thank you. And she will appear once more in the DC Universe. In fact, I know people with big plans for her, and they don't involve exoskeletons or costumes. Uh, which is a reference to, uh... This whole thing, talking about Batgirl being dead, Batgirl retired back in the Batgirl special, and then in The Killing Joke, which I covered uh, here a while back over on my Head Speaks podcast. You may want to check that out. Uh, again, this is spoilers for a 20-year-old story, a 30-year-old story. Uh, Joker escaped prison, and he went to Gordon's home and shot Barbara, uh, crippling her, which basically killed Batgirl permanently. So, again, is, there's a reference here that someone's going to be doing something with that girl soon. A uh, fan of the Suicide Squad. If you're a longtime fan, you know what they're going to be doing with her. If not, keep listening, guys. But also, the letter goes on talking about how John's having a wonderful time with Firehawk and Power Girl and Firestorm. So he's not getting given up for this title. Uh, Firehawk's a regular in, in Firestorm as his love interest. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Power Girl's showing up in... Uh, Firestorm, and also in Starman around this time. Uh, In fact, I'm covering those issues over in my uh, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour when we're getting into the evasion portion. So definitely, if you want to hear about those, check out that podcast. But yes, uh, Starman crosses over Firestorm who has, again, Firehawk on a regular basis and Power Girl has shown up in this issue. So definitely check that out. But again, I just wanted to plug my own other shows uh, since they didn't mention in the letter column. And finally they also say, you know, ask for Manhunter, keep reading. And then that wraps that up. The only thing I want to mention here is the coming attractions. Uh, they show the covers for Manhunter number I think it was five, which I covered like a month ago. They show the Suicide Squad Annual, which I covered last month here. Uh, they show an issue of the Flash. Which is the Wally West Flash at this time? Mm. And again, I'm not sure why they were showing this cover offhand. I don't see uh, maybe Mirror Masters in the background. I'm not sure. It looks like we got Captain Cold, Weather Wizard. We got the Flash, some chick. I'm not sure that is offhand. Doctor Alchemy, it looks like, uh, who's also appearing in the Flash TV show. A couple of other characters. Uh, then they also have the cover for Deadshot number 2, which I will be getting to soon. And then they have the cover for next issue of uh, Suicide Squad with the Mirror Master. And I guess if I'd actually read the, the narrative down here by Bob Greenberger, he does say that Captain Boomerang joins his fellow rogues gallery in the f- issue pages of Flash number 19. Uh, so that's why they're showing that. Captain Boomerang appears in it. And it says, the reason for this reunion to welcome Captain Cold back to the free world after having survived his mission in these pages. So again, I don't know if it's been all since I've read these books. I don't remember if they actually mentioned the Suicide Squad over there. I may have to pull that one out and take a look and see. Uh, But anyways, like I say, they mentioned uh, the uh, issue 20, which I'm going to be covering in a couple months because I think next month or maybe the next two months, I'm going to be talking about the Deadshot 4-issue miniseries. So definitely uh, check those out. And that's going to do it for this episode of Task Force X. Uh, we're going to forego suicide notes. I don't really have much. I think there were a few Twitter retweets and all that. But I'll go and probably include those next, ep- next issue or next episode. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and sign out from here. Uh, before I go, though, I do want to recommend uh, my daughter has a podcast. Uh, she comes It comes out whenever she gets around recording it, and I get a chance to edit and pen it up. It's very sporadic at this point, but she, yes, yeah, she does have her own podcast. She is her father's daughter. She likes comics and all things geeky. She also <laughs> likes shows like Dog of the Blog and other things. So Her podcast talks about whatever she feels like talking about. Uh, one episode, she talked about Dog of the Blog. The last one or two, she talked about Supergirl, uh, which is the CW show. Well was CBS out CW. Uh, she's really liking that show. So she talks about that quite a bit. So listen for the uh, next installment of Alexa Speaks when it comes out. And then again, like I say, you can catch my other shows on the network. Uh, again, right now just do the family and the jobs and just general mayhem. My my schedule's off kilter. Normally, the first week of the month, I get together with uh, a couple of buddies. Ryan Daly, Kyle Benning, uh, Adam Worth, and then I've recently I've got another couple of guys on there I've t- talked with uh, Kevin, right? Tim, maybe mispronouncing his name, and uh, Pat Sampson who started his own podcast recently, and we talk about GI Joe. It, the podcast is called GI Joe: A Real American Headcast. As the name applies, we talk about GI Joe, a real American hero, the comic book series by Marvel. Uh, that's the main focus of the show. Uh, currently, we're up to issue 13, I believe it is. Again, it's been a, a couple. It's been a couple. I'm a couple months behind on that one. And I apologize for that. I'm going to get the next episode of that out as soon as I can. Uh, but we also started talking about the G.I. Joe cartoon that came out in the 80s. Uh, we've just finished up the first two miniseries, and we're getting ready to start the show proper. And then occasionally we have specials where we talk about the toys or whatever else we come across. And then the second week of the month, I normally do my Head Speaks podcast. That one there is anything geeky that I enjoy talking about. just pops up. I talk about books, movies, comics, whatever crosses my path. Uh, currently, I'm doing a, uh, a look at the Atom. I started looking at the Sword of the Atom uh, three-issue miniseries, which I just finished up. I'm going to cover a couple of his appearances in the Justice League. And then we'll cover the Sword of the Atom uh, three specials. And then that'll lead us into the Power of the Atom series. And eventually, uh, spoilers, kind of, sort of, that will tie into this show. What show? Well, it's the show that comes out the third week of the month, Task Force X, where I talk about the uh, Suicide Squad and also Checkmate, which came out in the late 80s, early 90s. I don't think I need to say much more about that. You're listening to this show, which is that show, so... You know what I'm talking about. And then finally, the fourth week of the month, or the fourth yeah, week of the month, I do my Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I look at, as I mentioned briefly through here, there's the Will Payton Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series, which took place in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, again, I'm looking into those issues in order. Uh, normally I look at an issue of Starman and Issue of Manhunter, but the last few months have been a little wacky. I was looking at some man, 100 issues alone because I wanted to sync the books up for a couple of months because we are, over oh, on that show, starting The Invasion, this next episode. That's right, The Invasion, which was a, a DC maxi or miniseries back in the late 80s, is upon us, and the two books crossed over with some other books, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to sync them up, so I only have to cover The Invasion once instead of twice because... One book, I forget which one now, started during the other. But anyways, uh, those are my shows. And then, as I mentioned, there's my daughter's podcast, Alexa Speaks. Again, that comes out whenever we get it out. But they're all available on the Headcast Network. Uh, check us out. And again, I don't say this very often, but again, if you guys like this show, definitely go on to iTunes or over on to uh, Stitcher Plus and rate us. I think you can rate it on Stitcher. I know you can on iTunes. Rate us, leave some feedback, let me know what you guys think. If you guys rate the show on iTunes, it'll help bump up my profile and get more people to see the show. Uh, So definitely go over to iTunes, rate us. And finally, uh, you can check us out on the web at taskforcex.headspeaks.com or on Facebook. Uh, I don't have a Twitter for this yet, but you can leave comments on the Headcast Network Twitter page, which is at Headcast Network. And again... Send us an email to TaskForceX at HeadSpeaks.com and I, I will read your letter on the air. But I guess that's going to do it for this
0: episode. Until next time, squad mates dismissed.